My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Anna Liu and Patricia Chong. It's a well-worn labor movement slogan. An injury to one is an injury to all. It's an expression of unity, of solidarity, of shared burden. But of course, the labor movement is constituted by human beings, and it's not separate from our broader social world that is so painfully riven with oppressions, marginalizations, and exclusions. So sometimes that slogan of determined unity is more aspirational than actual, or is at least incomplete in its realization. Some injuries get treated as less important or non-existent, and some people excluded from or marginalized within the all. To name just one axis along which this sometimes occurs, though decades of anti-racist struggle within and beyond the labor movement have won important victories, there is still the need for further work to ensure that racialized workers and the issues of racialized communities are at the center of labor's agenda. In one instance of how this work has been and continues to be pushed forward, a handful of Asian-Canadian trade union activists in the late 1990s decided that they needed to create a more formal network bringing together worker activists of East, Southeast, South, and West Asian heritage as a way to push for a more thoroughgoing realization of that slogan in a number of different senses. And still today, the Asian-Canadian Labour Alliance, or ACLA, works to strengthen an Asian-Canadian labour identity and labour presence in Asian communities, to raise the profile of Asian-Canadian labour issues, to fight for social, economic, and political justice for all, to foster Asian Canadians in leadership roles in the labor movement and in the broader society, and to challenge racism in the labor movement. Anna Liu and Patricia Chong are longtime labor activists and are core members of ACLA. They talk with me about the origins of the group and the important pro-worker and anti-racist work that it does within the labor movement and in the broader community. We spoke by Skype to phone. Hi, my name is Patricia Chong. I've been involved in the labor movement for the last 15 years or so. I worked as a union organizer and have kind of gone back and forth in terms of education work. My name is Anna Liu and I'm a co-chair of ACLA. I've been involved in the organization for about 10 years now. I'm a union and community activist. I work for a union full-time, but in my spare time, I uh, do a lot of work with the Asian-Canadian Labor Alliance. The organization is a volunteer collective of union and community activists. We have two chapters. We have a BC chapter and an Ontario chapter. It was after some inspiration we received or heard about from our counterparts in the South. They had formed a very large organization called the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance. They had been doing lots of organizing in the Asian community, our U.S. counterparts, and what had happened is they had been in negotiations with the American Federation of Labor for a few years, and what occurred was 
they had agreed to put funding to form an organization that would be housed within the American Federation of Labor. And so subsequently, they had a, a large convention and we up here in Canada, Asian activists, heard about them. And so there were two people that went down, Winnie Yang and Gail Nye from BC. And Winnie's from Ontario, and they both went down and they attended this convention. There was about 500 Asian American activists. They were just floored because nothing like that has ever occurred in Canada. And so when they returned to Canada, they really wanted to start something very similar. And so that's how the seed of ACLA began. The convention that both Gail and I and Winnie Ng attended was in 1996. And so it did take a little bit of time to get things started. But what happened was they both returned to Canada and they just started talking to Asian activists, labor activists that they knew. They made phone calls and meetings started to happen and people got together. And from what I understand, because this was before my time as well, is they just began brainstorming, like, what is it that we want in Canada? There wasn't a desire to replicate exactly what the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance, APALA, it's called in the U.S. There wasn't a desire to replicate them exactly in terms of their structure and such, but there was certainly significant interest to have a group, an organization of some sort for Asian Canadian labor activists. And so I think after many conversations and evenings of brainstorming and chatting, it was British Columbia that got there started first. It's made up primarily of labor union activists, but the membership is not only for folks who are active in the labor movement. You can be also active within the community. And so the membership is quite loose in terms of who can join because we want to be welcoming. And there's also a strong desire to make sure that the labor movement is connected with the community because that's where our members and our community live in. That's the foundation in terms of where we see the importance of the organization, the outreach component, not only within the union sphere, but within the community. Once that was established, we started contacting unions to see what conferences or what kind of union meetings we could attend so that we can start talking about the Asian Canadian Labor Alliance and start spreading the news and growing the membership of ACLA. That was happening in BC. And in Ontario, I believe it was in 2000, we had a founding meeting. We had invited members of APALA, our U.S. inspiration, to come and speak about their journey. And there was a gathering probably of about 50 or so Asian labor activists and guests. And from that point, we just started really trying to develop activities, trying to develop educationals, and seeking opportunities to speak to union members and community members about the mandate of ACLA and looking for opportunities to partner with unions and community organizations on different projects and initiatives. In terms of ACLA's goals, we've got roughly five of them. The first is to strengthen an Asian-Canadian labor identity and develop a union-positive presence in our communities. Second is to raise the profile of Asian-Canadian labor issues. Third, fight for social, economic, and political justice for all. Fourth, encourage Asian-Canadians to take leadership positions in their unions, communities, and governments. Fifth and finally, challenge racism within the labor movement. There is not that many Asian workers actively involved in the labor movement. And so when you go to a union conference or convention, generally speaking, you're able to spot an Asian 
comrade really easily <laughs> because we kind of stick out in the crowd. There's been a long time problem of the labor movement being able to attract racialized workers to become actively involved in the labor movement. And so racialized workers, we really stand out when we end up going to any type of union meeting or convention. And so for ACLA, one of our goals, like Patricia had mentioned, is to make sure that we increase the number of Asian activists within the labor movement. But also because the labor movement is seen as a predominantly white movement, particularly from the perspective of racialized communities, we want to make sure that we have a presence and we show our face so that when we do do any type of organizing drives or campaigns within the community, they don't think that it's some type of outside movement that has nothing to do with their issues or things that are important to them because they don't really see their own face reflected within the labor movement. Tell me about the structure that emerged for ACLA out of that initial organizing. We're a pretty flat organization. We do have an executive. I'm the co-chair along with Chris Ramsroop, and then we have a treasurer, a recording secretary. Patricia is the organizing director. We've given ourselves very fancy titles. <laughs> but it's really an organization that is run by volunteers, a small collective. We do have a wider membership that we communicate with, but most of the core work is done by our executive body. And so in that respect, we are a pretty small organization. Give me a sense of the range of activities that ACLA would be involved in over the course of maybe a typical year. Generally, we have certain things that we do do every year. We try to partner up with different unions to do speaking engagements. That's always on the go for us. We also participate in community-based events. So, for example, every year on July 1st, there is a ceremony to commemorate the memory of Chinese railroad workers and the contribution they've made to Canada. There's a relaying ceremony held in Toronto by the Chinese Railroad Workers Memorial. ACLA participates in that event every year. We also, on a biannual basis, hold an event to recognize Asian activism during the month of May, which is Asian Heritage Month. So those are a couple of examples of things that we do on a regular basis. And then in addition to that, there's always issues that come up. A current campaign that we're working on is one that involves the University of New Brunswick. There's a professor by the name of Ricardo Deshaney. And he has said some very problematic things about Asian Canadians. In particular, he has expressed grave concerns around Asian Canadians in British Columbia and how we're ruining the British character of the province. He's a professor, and we find it very problematic that he's espousing these views. He's teaching students. He also has a very, very um, colorful blog that he writes in on a weekly or monthly basis. We have organized an open letter, and we are in the process of collecting signatures from academics and organizations to raise concern over the views and comments that this professor has shared with the broader public. He was actually featured in the Global Mail and the CBC. In terms of some other campaigns, like historically, if you recall, Scott, we had the McLean's Magazine, quote-unquote, Too Asian article that happened in 2010. 
And just some context for listeners who might not remember this article, it was a piece in Maclean's magazine that made the rather shocking claim that certain universities in Canada were, quote-unquote, too Asian. So there was resistance, and ACLA teamed up with other organizations such as the CCNC, the Chinese-Canadian National... Sorry, what's the acronym? Chinese-Canadian National Council, Toronto office. Also, with the Toronto and York Region Labor Council, every year they have the AWA conference, Aboriginal Workers and Workers of Color conference and stuff like that. In 2010, for example, ACLA, in coordination with the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists and the Latin American Trade Unionist Coalition, organized a Toronto Municipal Elections Racialized Candidates Forum. And that was a place for both racialized workers to ask questions to candidates and racialized candidates to gain some exposure, kind of like a two-way street. So those are some of the other campaigns and things that ACLA has done. We also, in the past, have endorsed candidates and have worked on their campaigns as well, candidates who are running for public office. Give me a sense, for example, when you're invited to do a speaking event at a, a labor movement conference or at an event organized by a particular union, what kinds of things do you talk about when you're speaking to the broader labor movement? Usually, we're asked to speak about the work of the Asian Canadian Labor Alliance, but also our experience as racialized activists within the labor movement, some of the struggles and successes we've had as an organization, or stories of inspiration that we can share with our union comrades about things that we've been engaged in, which have been successful campaigns or interesting campaigns so that they're able to apply that in their everyday work. And so often when we are invited to go and speak, it is very closely connected to the projects or work that we've been involved with. As an organization as a whole, I think we take an anti-racist perspective to not only our work, but how we outreach to others and you know, also to the labor movement. And so when we're speaking to the broader labor movement, if you will, Obviously, the labor movement in Canada, its history is largely rooted in white, assumed, heterosexual men. And because that is literally the working standard that the labor movement was built on, that affects how organizations are run now and how we do things. And so as an organizer, in my case, I'm Chinese. You know, I've been asked to organize other quote-unquote Chinese workers or people who look like me. And even though that sounds somewhat progressive, it can be quite reactionary in the sense that people just assume that, you know, all Chinese people get along. And there sometimes is a failure on the part of the labor movement to analyze why aren't more Asian Canadians involved in the labor movement at a higher ranking capacity than just being members. And so what I've had to deal with a lot, and I'm sure other ACLA members would agree with this, is rather than having a labor movement, reflect on what policies, procedures, and ways that we do things on an everyday basis actually exclude others. For example, it can be something as small as having a collective agreement translated into another language if English is not the primary language spoken at the workplace, for example. This is not rocket science. It's just based on the wants and needs of the membership. And when we're talking about issues of social equality, issues of race come up. You know, there is a color of poverty. Uh, And that phrase, color of poverty, is a reference to an Ontario-based campaign, color of poverty, color of change, that focuses on the fact that poverty is racialized. 
That is, that it is disproportionately experienced by people who are racialized. And so I think the role of ACLA is to insert this anti-racist analysis from the inside. So we are trade union activists, we're community activists, and we're saying we're here. It's really important that we also think about these other aspects in terms of the labor movement and how we can change it internally so we can attract you know, other groups. The labor movement has done a tremendous job of building equity programs that promotes the involvement of more women, Aboriginal workers, racialized workers, and LGBTQ workers to build their presence and participation into the ranks of labor at all levels, not only at the membership level, but in the leadership capacity as well. But at the same time, interestingly, there's been union studies that have been done. And I recall reading at one point a survey that was done and only 30% of the unions who participated in the survey said they had measures in place or structures in place that are specifically devoted for racialized workers. And then in addition to that, only 18% of them can service their members in languages other than English or French. Clearly, there is still a large gap and a long way to go for unions so that they are able to speak to their members or relate to their members in a way where members feel comfortable, members of all different races and backgrounds and ethnicities feel comfortable participating within their union. And that's where ACLA comes in because we are an autonomous body and we are not affiliated to any particular union or, or labor body. And so we are people that have come together to try to figure out ways to break down barriers within the labor movement so that more people, more workers can participate within the union structures without feeling left out or feeling like their issues or priorities don't count. Obviously, the details of this would vary a lot depending on the specific organization. But in general, what are the kinds of barriers that you see to broader participation in the membership and in the leadership by Asian Canadian activists and other racialized activists? And what are the kinds of measures that you think would be important, again, in general, in terms of mainstream labor organizations to continue building that participation and continue removing those barriers? Currently, one in five workers in Canada is a person of color. And I think it's projected by 2030, 30% of Canada's workforce will be racialized. So all of this demographic shift is happening and new workers are coming to Canada and the great majority of new workers arriving in Canada are racialized. And so we see a workforce demographic that's changing very, very rapidly, but at the same time, the labor movement is not keeping pace with it. So the labor movement is the workers' movement and we are not seeing a reflection of equal representation of who's in the workforce and who's in the leadership within the House of Labor. And so that's an automatic visible barrier that workers who are perhaps experiencing economic difficulties or workplace difficulties would not necessarily turn to the labor movement or a union or think about unionizing their workplace as a solution because they don't really necessarily think that's a solution for them. And it's unfortunate because unions do make a huge, a tremendous difference to work in a unionized environment versus working in a non-unionized environment. In terms of barriers, I think there's just this general assumption, a very lazy assumption that Asians, and again, that term is very nebulous, that Asian workers are just not political. 
And so it's easier for somebody in the labor movement to say, oh, those people are not political, as opposed to asking why those people have not engaged in the labor movement. And I myself have worked with enough workers of color to know that that's obviously not true. Also, in terms of formal answers, we support equity positions. It's a formal way to address the lack of representation. So equity positions and obviously support of workers of color, caucuses and committees. And these are still somewhat contentious viewpoints in the labor movement, unfortunately. There is sometimes quite a bit of resistance in terms of having an equity position. And also with unions fighting the austerity agenda, some unions are losing money and sometimes unions are deciding, well, what's really essential to the functioning of our unions? And unfortunately, you get education cuts and workers of color committee sometimes are facing funding cuts as well. So I think in terms of making the labor movement more inclusive, we should be actually going in the opposite direction in terms of education, anti-racism work, and ensuring our workers of color committees are not struggling for funding at a time when they should be more than well-funded, in my opinion. And also in terms of networks, ACLA is both a formal and informal network of Asian Canadian activists. And I think it's important to have someone to turn to when you are facing racism within your own union. If you're an employee or if you're trying to access the grievance procedure and whatnot, it's important to have those networks, you know, mentorships so you can encourage other people and rely on other people when you're facing struggles at work, both from your employer and from your union. And as I mentioned earlier, there can be somewhat small adjustments made. So when you're running a conference, if all your speakers are white men, I think that's hugely problematic. You know, if you're addressing labor issues, there's nothing more ridiculous to me than having like a anti-poverty workshop and having 10 white male professors on the panel. That just doesn't make sense. That's not my reality. I'm pretty sure that's not the reality of most people in Canada. And again, some simple things like ensuring that you're able to service members in other languages something simple as translating a collective agreement. And quite frankly, even people who speak English as a first language have a lot of trouble translating the legalese of the collective agreement. So union contracts should be written in clear, simple language so anybody can understand it. And so I think there's lots of little small things we can do and or structured things we can do as individuals, as organizations, like in terms of ACLA and as the labor movement to encourage more participation. But fundamentally, it's about power, and I don't expect people to suddenly give up power. And so it's all about ACLA organizing within ourselves and also with other like-minded organizations to make those changes happen. So it's not like ACLA is waiting around for whoever to grant us these positions, to grant us the authority, to grant us the power to do these things. ACLA is already organizing to make these things happen. And so they are happening, and obviously we will continue to do this until we've achieved some type of semblance of racial equality within the labor movement and the broader society. When ACLA takes up a campaign in the broader society, and you'd mentioned the comments by the UNB prof that happened recently and the McLean's article that happened a few years ago, when you take up one of those campaigns, what practices do you use to mobilize people to get people taking action on those issues? We usually just go through our networks in terms of people we have relationships with in the labor movement and different equity committees, workers of color caucuses that ACLA has built relationships with, and we do outreach to them. And so when we do a community-based campaign, we are really trying to bring the labor movement into that. For the University of New Brunswick campaign, we've decided this is an outrageous issue and needs more attention, and so we are organizing around it. So ACLA is spearheading this campaign, and we are working with our community contacts 
and we are also doing outreach to our labor contacts and we're trying to get them on board and bringing them into the campaign as well by asking them to support this open letter that we've drafted and to get them thinking about how this is actually related to the broader work of the labor movement because comments by one professor, yes, it might seem kind of once removed, but in reality, it's very offensive, not only to the community and the students that are within New Brunswick, but folks across Canada, and he's making comments about Asians and British Columbia, and so we really see this as a, a union issue. Union members are affected by this, and so we're trying to connect what's happening within the community, what's happening on university campuses, to our everyday work as labor activists. And also, ACLA obviously has their own like, informal networks. So, for example, SCAR. Uh, and SCAR stands for the Solidarity Committee Against Anti-Asian Racism. ACLA worked with them on the response to the two Asian McLean's article of 2010. And so now, again, when we're working on this open letter to the University of New Brunswick in regards to Professor Duchesne's comment, we're again working with SCAR. And I think we're like any organization, we'll have our own informal and both formal networks. But I think the one thing with this particular campaign or any campaign is to ensure that we're doing a proper investigation and also presenting the issue in such a way that, how do I put this? For example, I think with Professor Duchesne, I don't think it was presented properly in the media. And so ACLA's done a lot of research on what exactly was the complaint about? What exactly did he say? Why are neo-Nazi web pages like Stormfront in support of this professor? I think stuff like that was not covered by the media adequately. And so I guess part of our method is to do our own research because obviously, as you would know, Scott, you can't believe everything you read, can't believe everything you see. So some of our work is kind of investigative and making sure that we present the argument in a fair way, which I don't think we got from the general mainstream media. So if there are Asian Canadian workers who hear this show and they're interested in becoming involved in ACLA, how can they go about doing that? And I guess I'm asking in terms of where there are established chapters in BC and Ontario, but also if there are folks in other parts of the country who are intrigued by the kinds of things that ACLA does. They can certainly contact us through our general email, which is info at aclaontario.ca. And we're very much interested in connecting with other Asian activists from other parts of Canada outside of British Columbia and Ontario because we really want to see different chapters pop up in other provinces. And we are a network and we really try, when their opportunity arises, such as the UMB campaign, to work collaboratively with our ACLA BC counterparts. And this campaign would be a perfect example of how we could be connecting with other Asian activists, labor activists from across Canada to really profile the campaign at a higher level than we are right now. And we do have visions down the road of building a national network of some sort. You have been listening to my interview with Anna Liu and Patricia Chong of the Asian Canadian Labor Alliance. To learn more about their work, go to aclaontario.ca. That's all one word, aclaontario.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.